Next Chapter Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in zero sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What I love about doing this podcast is when I see a record on the list and I immediately assume the music is going to be one way and then you put that album on and they give you a banger like this. It's Comeback Johnny, a song that completely blew my mind. The whole album blew my mind. It is so important that this album is on the list. Everything about it screams Devo. That's our band. A lot of you have been waiting for this album this week. And this is off of their 1978 album, Are We Not Men? Answer, We Are Devo. And it's also number 442 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500 with me, the King Cadougal, the one and only Josh Adam Myers. What's up, Fleece Army? How my little Cadoogly Spoogly's doing? Thank you. And I mean this from the bottom of my his heart for joining me once again on our journey through Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 albums. And we're, we're getting there, man. 442. Dude, I can't wait till we break into the threes. That's going to be nuts. That's going to be insane. All right, on a serious note, I have been getting so many of you that are reaching out and saying how much you love the podcast, but I am getting a lot of stuff from people saying how this podcast is helping them get through their tough times. And I'm doing my best to get back to all of you. If I don't, I'm sorry. But just know that I'm thinking about you and the ones that I've talked to. I love each and every one of you guys. I know this is a hard time right now with Christmas and the holiday season. You know, you feel spoogly. But you guys are all Dougals. Everybody out there, that's what you need to realize, that you are a Dougal. You're a Dougal, you're a Dougal. Never gonna be a Spoogal because you were born a Dougal, yeah. Anytime. You feel like you're going to the Spoogle side. I want you guys to remember that song. Sing it all day. Anytime you feel down. Anytime seeing the Christmas lights and being single or, you know, you told your crush you liked her and then she said, nah, you know, you don't need any of this. Dig into these records. Sing that song in your head. You're a Dougal, you're a Dougal. Never gonna be a Spoogle cause you were born a Dougal, yeah. It's incredible, guys. Be positive. These albums are too good. Let the music get into your soul. I get depressed. I'm not going to say I don't. I get depressed, just like everybody. I'm a human being. But, man, it's like there, there's nothing better. I say the two things that make you feel good about life are having music in your heart and then having a crush on somebody and having them like you back. There, there's no better feeling than that. That might be the greatest feeling in the world. Dude, you when you got you got some pep in your step when a girl likes you or a guy likes you, whatever it is, whatever you're into. Refrigerator likes you. 
you're walking around outside like, Hey, how you doing? It's burning bright. Hey, homeless guy, here's $10 for some fentanyl. Go ahead, because I got that pep in my step. Doot, doot. I get it. So if you're feeling down, man, dig into these records, because this record this week, man, a lot of you were excited about it. I was excited, too. There's a few albums that I'm really excited to dig into. PJ Harvey is coming up, and I've heard so much great shit about her. Like, she's won the Mercury Music Prize, which is like, I, it's, it's this British music prize that I fuck with. So I'm like so excited to be able to listen to her. But Diva was another one. Diva was one that I just didn't know about. It was the only thing I knew was that they wrote Whip It. And then there was another song that kind of came on somehow in between it. When I was like doing like the shuffle on Spotify and the the album ended and then they did there's a song called Be Stiff. If you haven't listened to Be Stiff by Devo, listen to it. It's so good. But you know what? No more talking. Let's find out about Devo in this record, okay? This album was released on August 28th, 1978. And here, check this shit. It was produced by Brian Eno, who's got some records on this list, not just as a producer, but as an artist. And this is the debut album from the Akron, Ohio, new wave post-punk art rock band, Devo. Now, Devo consisted of two sets of brothers, vocalist, guitarist, and keyboardist Mark Mothersbaugh, and his brother, Bob, a.k.a. Bob One. Now, that's important. He was on lead guitar and vocals. And then you had vocalist, bassist, and keyboardist Gerald Casali and his brother Bob, who was named Bob Two, on rhythm guitar, keyboards, and vocals. And then you got this rando dude, Alan Meyer, on drums. The band evolved from a jokey concept that musicians Gerald and his friend Bob Lewis came up with while they were art students at Kent State University, Ohio, in the late 60s. According to their idea of de-evolution, humankind had stopped evolving forward and it started to regress due to various dysfunctions and herd mentality. I mean, (laughs) you, you see that they were right if you're paying attention to anything that's going down in our government. Just people like, dude, Devo was ahead of the motherfucking game. Respect. De-evolution. History is not progressive, people. We regress. Around 1970, they met fellow musician and Kent State art student Mark Mothersbaugh, who brought more of a sense of humor when he joined them in their art project that mixed the lofty ideas of art and literature, like the European avant-garde Dada movement, with the more crass expressions of pop culture, like fast food mascots. However, on May 4th, 1970, the whimsical vision of de-evolution became deadly serious when during a mass protest on the Kent State campus against the U.S. bombing of Cambodia, the Ohio National Guard opened fire on unarmed students. Nine students were injured and four were killed, including Gerald Casali's friends Jeffrey Miller and Allison Krauss, who Casali was standing next to when she was shot. He described that event as the day he cut his hair and stopped being a hippie, and it became the catalyst for Devo's musical debut in 1973. Although originally formed as the Sextet Devo with a fluid roster of players before slimming down to five and then eventually to four members, Devo played their theatrical and often confrontational performances at art festivals and gigs around Ohio until 1976 when they added drummer Alan Meyer to become the quintet that recorded this record. It was also in 1976 when the band had two of their songs, a cover of Johnny Rivers' hit Secret Agent Man and their original Jocko Homo, featured in the short film The Truth About the Evolution, directed by Chuck Statler. 
1977, the film won a prize at the Ann Arbor Film Festival, which brought Devo to the attention of David Bowie and Iggy Pop, who then championed for them to get a recording contract. After the band put out a couple independent singles, Bowie had announced that he would be producing their debut record in Japan in 78. But due to scheduling conflicts, he got his friend and producer Brian Eno to fill in. That is incredible. That's like saying, LeBron, you can't play. He's hurt. He's out. What are we going to do? Who do we have to fill in? How about Kobe Bryant? Can you take Kobe? How about Giannis Antetantacupo? That's what it's like. That's how dope to go from Bowie to Brian Eno. I wonder if Brian was like super dope back then and everybody knew it. Bowie was. I bet Brian was. I mean, the guy's a fucking legend. Eno was so confident that the unsigned band would be successful that he flew them to Cologne, Germany, put them up, and covered the recording costs. The band often struggled for power with Eno over their vision for their songs. Still, Bowie came by to help when he could and remixed most of the record. Eventually, Devo were signed to Warner Brothers Records, and this debut was released. Besides asking the question, are we not men? It also dealt with understanding urges, feelings, dissatisfaction, praying, and paranoia. It was quirky, cold, punky, fresh, nostalgic, and both funny, ha-ha, and funny, peculiar. A couple months later, in October of 78, the band got national exposure when they played on Saturday Night Live. While many focused on the iconic yellow plastic jumpsuits they wore, rather than their quirky, angular, and very original take on rock and roll, it still helped their debut go to number 78 on the Billboard chart and began their substantial career. Devo has continued from many, many more albums and videos and several lineup changes to this day. Sadly, former drummer Alan Meyer passed away in 2013, followed by guitarist Bob, Bob 2, Casali in 2014. But today, I have a member of Devo, the one and only Josh Freeze. Huge shout out before I go any further to my man, Joe Sib. Joe Sib did the Husker Do episode. I said I needed a guest. He got me Josh, and I could not be happier. You might know Josh as one of the greatest session drummer multi-instrumentalists in the game. He's played for and still plays for bands like Nine Inch Nails, The Vandals, Sting, Guns N' Roses, but he has been Devo's permanent drummer since 1996. And if you guys want to see something dope, because I have watched this clip so many times, go on YouTube, put in Wish, John Freeze, or put in March of the Pigs, and just enjoy. One of the best drummers in the game, when I told Bill Burr Josh was the guest today, Bill was like, perfect guest, that dude is dope. And this episode is dope, all right? Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email this podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 442 out of 500. With Are We Not Men, We Are Devo by Adebo. (laughs) 
Joshy Freeze. He was a Joshy Freeze. Skiba Daba Joshy Freeze. Gink, 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 Joshy Freeze. I like that. Joshy Freeze. Yeah. Did anybody ever call you Joshy? Uh, they've called me Mongoloid. <laughs> I can see that. Which is what you were singing there, the tune of Mongoloid. So I read somewhere uh, that you learned how to play drums uh, from listening to Devo. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Freedom of Choice record was actually one of two. The two first albums I ever owned were, I guess it was Christmas 1980. Okay. I was turning eight. And my birthday, a little fun fact for you, is on Christmas Day. Is it really? Yeah. Well, so uh, happy, yeah, almost, happy pre-birthday. Thank dude. you very much. Does that does that suck? It doesn't actually. I would. I always said that I think like the twenty sixth would suck, the twenty third would suck. But if you're gonna be anywhere near that, with all the hustle and bustle and chaos that's happening around the holidays, if you're gonna be anywhere near it, at least be on the actual day on Christmas. Yeah, you, it's kind of cool. It's Jesus and, and Jimmy Buffett and Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, dun, 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 dun. happy Christmas! So I got. I got freedom of choice. And Queen, The Game, were the first two albums that I ever owned. Okay. I got them for Christmas or my birthday, whichever way you want to look at that, uh, in Curse, 1980. Birthday. <laughs> and I think Devo I got for Christmas and Queen I got for my birthday. And uh, But I, I had asked for it because I kind of, uh, I didn't have any older brothers or cool older cousins that uh, ever hipped me to any music. So anything that I kind of got into, I got into on my own somehow, being yeah. eight years old, living in Orange County, right? Uh and so Whip It was a big hit. So I'd hear it every day and go, gosh, I really like this song I hear on the radio. And I asked for the album. Then I got the album. And I went, wow, there's a bunch of great songs on this record. And uh, we'll get to this next part in a minute. But sure. I then later went back and got the first two records and, you know, really went for it. But that being one of the first albums I ever owned, I think the first time I owned might have been a Van, ha- Van Halen one because my uncle in Minneapolis did hit me to that. And I loved it. And Alex became my first drum hero. Sure. So I owned Van Halen one. But then the first two that I actually owned, owned, I think, were, were Freedom of Choice and the Queen album. And the Freedom of Choice record was so great to practice to. I just started playing drums around that time. So I put on headphones or blast the stereo in my parents' basement, and I'd play along to the stuff, right? Because you don't have anybody else to play with because you're eight years old and you're sitting at home, so you practice along to the records. And uh, the Freedom of Choice record is such easy... Well, it's just a good if you can start off... It's like playing drums to ACDC or something. Yeah. Like, the drums are very... At least on that record. There's other Devo records where there's odd time signatures, and the drums are linear and tricky and bizarre, but that record's really almost, like, dancey. You know, and, and, and not even with Whip It, but I mean, you know, Girl You Want, Gates of Steel, Freedom of Choice. It's real kind of mid to up-tempo, fast, fun, precise, eighth-note rock and roll shit, really. Yeah. Um, so it was fun and, uh, and easy to be able to latch on too quick. And so I did. I practiced that album all the time. And uh, I do have a picture somewhere of me uh, when I'm about, I don't know, 10 years old and I'm this chubby 10 year old with a Cub Scout like a Boy Scout uniform on because I was going to go to Cub Scouts after school of course and uh, and I'm sitting behind my drums and down by my foot you can see the Oh No It's Devo album with the, they're on the cover and the potato bodies you know yeah. and Mark's got the, the glasses on uh Anyways, I found that years later, and I went, look, you guys, after I'd been working with them for years, look, look, I showed them the picture. Here's me, 10 years old. See, like, there's proof. I'm practicing a Devo. And then Mark goes, yeah, 
I bet you just like super. I bet you uh, superimpose like a Guns and Roses record on there when you're going <laughs> to work with Axel. I go, hey Axel. It's like, why are you holding like, Nine Inch no. Nails' Wish actually? In yeah, it? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but no, it's a, it's a great photo, and it really like uh, time stamps, you know, uh, date stamps that 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 era for me of sure. like literally. Yeah, I did kind of grow up playing. So, but well, what's funny? What's funny, Josh, is that I like I thought literally the only song I knew was Whip It. That right. was it. So when I was like, okay, we got to do this record. And let's hear, let's just, let's just say what the album is. Our album is number 442 out of 500. It's the debut studio album, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo, by Devo, released August 28th, 1978, produced by Brian Eno and David Bowie, which is fucking insane. But I had... No idea. I was expecting literally the album to sound like oh Whip it. oh oh and I was completely blown away. This is they're punk deep, rock. man. They are deep. They're deep. They're artists. Like just the whole history of I found out about them is that they is one that it was two sets of brothers. Yeah, the original and then the drummer, of right. course. Yeah, uh, that that uh, I think it was G- Gerald went to Kent State. And Gerald, were, Gerald, yeah, uh, yeah Jerry. We call him Jerry, but yeah, Jerry and Mark both went to Kent State. So they they met and they became buddies and they saw eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And uh, Jerry musically was was kind of coming from more of a like R and B and like hardcore blues background and love of that stuff. And Mark was coming from a weird sun raw and experimental uh, synthesizer stuff that was happening in the, in the early seventies, mid seventies. And so that kind of like the, the blend of what became Devo. I heard Jerry once say, and I loved it. And it wasn't even in an interview. I think, I think he was like just talking to somebody and someone was asking about Devo. And he said that Devo is uh craft work from the neck up. And yeah. cameo from the waist down. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get into this week's episode, let's talk a little bit about Sonos for the holidays. If you're wondering what to get your friends and family for the holidays, or you just want to have that holiday party blowing up, kid, the brilliant sound of Sonos is the answer for you. Play all your favorite holiday jams with a new home theater system. I put Sonos into my life about a year and a, a little, little under a year ago. And it's made everything better. I have speakers in every room. I've got the subwoofer, so does that woof. I've got the Sonos Move, which is incredible because you can move the speaker wherever you want and it sounds better than every other portable speaker on the market. It's insane. The clarity, the bass, I love it. Plus, they've got speech enhancement mode. It's a new, unique feature that clarifies the sound of the human voice. Perfect for when characters whisper on television or if the action intensifies. Turn it on in the Sonos app and never miss a moment of the story. Or play all your favorite holiday jams when the TV is off. And guess what? Sonos works with Spotify and all the other streaming services. And you can also wirelessly connect all your speakers to create your perfect sound system. It's the perfect gift. The gift of crystal clear sound. Go to Sonos.com to complete your holiday shopping. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. And now, back to the gushplooky. Let's take it to this record. Because okay, yeah. this, this, this record is like, definitely not dancing. It's, it's, it's not, bizarre. It is bizarre. It is yeah. fun. It is an art installation inside a, a music, a musical from journey. From the cover, from the weird cover and the Everything. story between the cover, which the cover freaked me out when I was a kid. And I said, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, Yeah, so tell me, tell me what it was like when you first heard this record. Well, like, when I first heard this record, like I said, I was probably nah, nine years old, ten years nine, old. Nine, nine? Yeah, <laughs> nine, nine. And I, I had already heard, I was a big fan, like I said, of Freedom of Choice. And I went back and got the first two records. I became such a fan. And I went, oh, my God, these guys have other stuff. I better check it out. Well, Are We Not Men... That album is sounds sounded then and sounds now like nothing else. Yeah. It stands on its own. It's so bizarre. It's so pioneering and strange and interesting uh, that it was a lot to take in, not only when I was 10 years old, but from someone coming from all I've heard was the Freedom of Choice record and songs like Girl You Want and Whip It that were really great, but real kind of poppy and kind of dancey. And, and so there's like a, there's definitely a shift that more commercial. The there yet. were great songs on that record, Gates of Steel and Freedom of Choice. Great songs, but uh, but kind of more kind of hit oriented at that point. And are we not men? It's just abstract. It's all punk. Crazy. I think it's all. I think it's like because you. This is like what, what people, most people call post punk, and I'm like, this right. isn't. This puts the punk in post punk more than Absolutely. anything. This like this is. Just, Everyone will tell you, yeah. even even if whether you talk to one of the Talking Heads or David Bowie or any of these people will tell you that even all the stuff that they were up to at that time. Devo came along and freaked everybody out. And that's why Bowie loved him. And that's why Neil Young loved him. That's why Iggy Pop loved him. I mean, early on, they were all kind of sort of, I don't know if fighting is the right word, but they were all kind of trying to take credit for like, I found these guys. Yeah. Neil Young's like, no, I'm going to put them, like he put them in their movie, uh, in his movie, Human Highway. Yeah. As before the first album came out, just they were this bizarre group of <laughs> art students turned musicians from Akron, Ohio. And, uh, he saw he saw early on what was special about him, and so he had him. But then Bowie's in New York going, no, 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 these are my guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come with me. Let me introduce you. There's footage of Bowie introducing them at small clubs. I forget if it was in New York or L.A., but there's footage I've seen of Bowie. Um, and so, yeah, of course, all these guys are wanting to kind of take credit for, well, you know, I... I, I I you know sniffed it out. Everybody before wants to everybody be on the else. starting line. Everybody you know wants I mean? to say they were they were right yeah. from the jump, yeah. which is cool. I mean, all dude, those people I uh, dude, just mentioned are fucking great. David Bowie, 
Say yeah. to you, say to say to people, this is the band. These yeah. I I've discovered them. I yep. mean, this is one of the greatest musicians in in most people's lifetime. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's because I think that's that's what I got from this. Listening to this record, probably much like what you felt when when you first heard them and actually heard this record, was that this this was so far so far ahead of its time. This is just. It's it's it sounds like nothing that I've listened to that is in that genre from that area, whether it be the sound, the song structures, because some of these songs sound like they they're like four <laughs> songs put into one. Yeah. There's movements almost, yeah, and and it's just and the production of it's crazy. It the sound so, of it, it know? is so fun. So let me ask you this then: like, how does that feel to one time be a fan of Devo and now be oh, in great. Devo? How did that go down? Well, uh, Bob Kazali, rest in peace, Jerry's brother, Bob too, yeah. who passed away a few years back. Uh, when I started playing with the Vandals in around 1990, I guess, 89 or 90, about 30 years ago, uh, we were going to make a record, and someone said, hey, I just talked to our people at Triple X Records, and they said, uh, they said one of the guys in Debo is like, you know, producing and engineering records, and you know, and we can get it. We can actually afford them. Somehow, we were able to afford them at that time. And so we went. Oh my God! We were all Devo fans. I was like the the uber Devo fan, but everyone in the yeah. Vandals loved Devo. And we're like, Oh my God! We gotta get the guy from Devo. Yeah. Just so we can hang out with him every day and and bug just, him about just, yeah, just become pick friends his brain. with him. Like, that's Devo, a dream. Man, it's you know? a dream. Yeah. He's gonna have to show up every day in the studio and <laughs> hang out with us all day. He and has night. to hang out. You know? He's gonna we'll have lunch he's gonna together. We'll know what his diet is. Yeah, yeah, and. uh and so we met Bob, and, and we became friends with Bob, and he produced a record for the Vandals called Fear of a Punk Planet. Um, and it's a cool record, and, and we became friends with Bob. And then Devo was kind of, they never quote-unquote broke up, but they were kind of slowing down around the time. Mark was starting to do soundtrack work. Jerry was starting to direct videos and commercials, and they were kind of getting sick of each other at that point. They'd had this crazy ride in the 80s, late 70s and through the 80s. And now they're like, okay, we're going to like take a minute. And we're not going to like announce from the, from the you know, we're not going to shout from the rooftops when we're breaking up. We're going to just slow down. So they kind of slowed down. But I went to see him play a show or two and Bob would introduce, introduce me to the rest of the guys in the band. And then a few years after that, right when they were kind of breaking up is when alternative music started to break. And there's bands like, you know, Jane's, Jane's Addiction and the Chili Peppers, yeah. Nirvana and Weezer. And these bands are all going... We love Devo. I mean, even if they weren't saying, yeah, you had, you know, I mean, Nirvana covered a Devo song, Soundgarden covered a Devo song. But then uh, even if people weren't telling you that they liked Devo, you could hear the influence in Weezer. Or you could hear the influence in certain bands. And, um, and so they started getting offers to do stuff. And they're like, holy shit, we're getting actually offered really good money to play some gigs. And uh, everyone wanted to be involved uh, they got a, some offer uh, to, to go play at the Sundance Film Festival in January 96. And uh, everyone wanted to be involved except for the drummer. And so uh, Bob said, well, I know this kid that plays in the Vandals and he knows all of our songs probably better than we do. And and so, you know, I, I went and did it with him and, uh, and it worked out. It was great. I remember driving to the studio that day going, don't crash your car. Just don't crash your car. <laughs> if you don't crash your car in the next 30 minutes, it'll mean you get to go hang out and play drums with fucking Devo. <laughs> you know, I was so excited. And so these shows started happening, and it was great because uh, for me, I felt like I'd won some like Make-A-Wish Foundation or MTV I, I contest. Couldn't even I couldn't even imagine. Play drums with your favorite band. Yeah. 
It was awesome. I tried to, you know, I sent you that picture of us backstage. Yeah, which is, which is fantastic. Which was from 99. I tried, sometimes I find on my phone by accident when I'm looking for a different photo. There's a photo of me backstage right before my first Devo show. You know, and I'm like 23 or 24 and I weigh about... It's a baby, man. I'm yeah. a baby, man. And it's funny because I look cool, but I look at it now and I go... It looks like I was a little too excited to be in Devo. <laughs> I mean, how could you not? That's, I'm that's so, what like, makes it great. Like, that's you know. what makes it great. There's oh, the cool man. rock star mythos, but we're still human beings. You're still that. You're still that eight year old kid Absolutely. putting that record on, Absolutely. and then and instead of just drumming to a blank wall, you have the fucking band in yeah. front of you looking at you for the time. Like you ready to do this? Yeah, shit? yeah, yeah. You go click us in. And yeah, you, I mean, I yeah. can imagine. No, it was great. You know, and when we were rehearsing, when we first started rehearsing, there was there was no internet. Right, and oh, so remember we, how good we, those years were. Yeah, yeah, so we would have to be like learning songs, and Mark's studio was right across the street from where Tower Records used to be on Sunset. Yeah, I know. So you, you, we couldn't reference shit on. There was no YouTube or phones to reference songs. So we'd be practicing something, and they go, "Okay, after the third verse, it actually goes straight to an outro." And I would say, "No, no, no. The third verse actually, there's a breakdown, and then it goes to the outro." And they'd look at me and like, "Be like, I don't think so." And I go, "Trust me." And they finally send, they go, we can't, this is when we first started working together. And they go, dude, how's this kid telling us how the songs go? So they'd send the secretary across the street to Tower Records, go, go buy a copy of Are We Not Men so we can listen to Gut Feeling yeah, right now. Yeah, dude. Oh, so they'd they'd I love come that. back with a CD and we'd put it on the boom box and it'd come and every time I was right. And of it got course the, you were. And it got to the point where they're like, we're just going to trust the kid. Whatever Josh says, it's, he's right. He's right. I probably listened to it a lot more than they did. But, the, you know, some, sometimes you make a record, you, you, you either don't listen to it or you listen to it very little. By the time it comes out, you've heard it seven million times. Sure. Mixing and mastering and working on it that you don't want to hear it again. Um, so, yeah, they finally ended up listening to me after a while. But it took a few trips to Tower Records. Like, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. Here, someone go buy a copy of blah, blah, blah. And they bring it back. And I was like... I was like, I don't, think, I don't think you got mo- enough money in the CD budget because I know this. You don't need yeah. to buy it. I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's let's dive into the record, okay? All right, let's do All it. right so the album opens up with uh, Uncontrollable Urge. All right, Peter, let's play the intro real quick. I mean, to me, this is a perfect album opener, right? I mean, I had heard I had heard this before, but I had no idea it was Devo. Like I said, I thought Devo was going to be very like you know, oh oh. But this song is pure punk. It's exciting, yeah, and it's it's uh, you know abrasive and it's catchy and it's. you know, feels like it's going to spin out at any minute. Oh, 100%. I, so what I thought of it was this, it starts with this like short, punchy intro and then it raves up into this awesome guitar riff. It almost sounds like a punk version of Led Zeppelin's Misty Mountaintop. It's kind <laughs> of got that feeling to it. I love sure. I love everything about this song. I love when you're expecting one thing and you get something completely different. It's a song that a lot of times people will hear it too and go, oh man, I didn't know that was Devo because a, a big, you know, one of the catch kind of moments of the song is the you know yeah 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 anyways that track's great it's been used in films it's been used uh, it's it's one of the songs we play every night all right well let me take this to you so sure. you've you've played uh 
been a major go-to live and studio drummer over the last few decades. Uh, you've literally toured the world. But you've also, and where we're at right now, I mean, right. have this beautiful, balanced, admirable home life. I mean, yeah. your dogs are a little batshit crazy. But besides that, <sighs> I mean, attack the kids are cool. Your wife's cool. Are there any urges of yours that are still uncontrollable? Oh, boy. Uh some dark web shit that I get into. <laughs> You're uh, on the dark web? You know. Dude, I'm just ordering mescaline. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Kratom coming. I'm a Kratom dealer. I think, uh, no, you know what I want to do? I just, the, 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 the more I tour, the more I don't want to tour. I mean, just because I've got four kids. Yeah. And I've been touring now. This has been, 2019 marks 30 years that I've toured. I've been going on tour since I was 16. And, uh, and so it's... Uh, I still love going out and playing, but for long extents of time, it's difficult. And I really, what I'd like to do is stay home and make weird records and have someone pay me for it, you yeah. know, but it's like, I got to keep up my lifestyle and, and paying for the poodles die jobs <laughs> and the kids <laughs> yeah. college funds. And you know, those poodles are on it, a raw diet. People. Yeah, That's, yeah. They're not getting kibble. Those okay? poodles don't <laughs> die themselves. Those colors don't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I it's, it's, it's tough to be able to kind of like you know have your cake and eat it too all the time. Do you feel like you're? Do you feel like now that as you're getting you're getting older, it's just the urge to go out on the road. Mm-hmm. It's just you're saying it's just going away, or is it? Is it it's, just? It's this is comfortable. I mean, I'm I'm 40 mm-hmm. and I love doing shows. I love going out on the road. Mm-hmm. But man, do I enjoy my time at home. I enjoy my time at home more now than ever and also having four kids yeah. and and a wife and having two for 30 years. It's not like I go on tour and go, oh, I was talking about with someone last night. I don't go out of town and go, oh my God, I'm in Europe. This is amazing. Once in a while, there's a flash of that, but I've been going to Europe for almost 30 years now all the time. And I've spent four months there this year and I'm going to spend months next year. And so if I've got a day off in Paris and people go, dude, are you going to go do this and do that? I'm like, like my friend Paul Westerberg once said, he goes... I'm on tour, but I'm not a tourist. You want, you want to pick up that name you yeah, just dropped? Yeah, let drop? me drop Jesus that. Jesus Christ. My hero. <laughs> Real quick, I, on a side note, I have to like, say... You're like, Paul, don't you fucking hate Brussels, too? I, I hate <laughs> Belgium. Fuck this place. I just want to be home with my dogs. I think my two favorite bands of all time are Devo and The Replacements. So yeah. for me, getting to work with Paul, I work with Paul. And it's incredible. When, when The Replacements did their quote-unquote union gigs, I got to play with them. And it's like, that to me is my high mark for my own personal success, yeah. you know, because they're my two favorite bands. So getting to work with your two favorite bands, uh, that's great, you know? So uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine. It does, it, that, that part feels great. All um, right, well, let's see, let's jump into track two then, because I feel like you got it. You yeah. feel like you answered that. Yeah. All right, so the next song, <clears throat> the only, I had heard this song before, but I heard it from the movie Casino. Mm. It is Devo's version of the Rolling Stones' 1965 hit, uh, I can't get no satisfaction. And even though it might sound kind of cold and passionless to a lot of the listeners, I think it actually expresses the tense dissatisfaction of the lyrics. Peter, uh, play the opening about 22 seconds in. You don't even think about the Rolling Stones when no. you listen to this version, dude. It's amazing. And, I, and I've, uh, you know, everyone I know loves this version. I love this version. They played it on Saturday Night Live 
which was kind of a lot of America's first. Uh, Actually, yeah. So in, in October of 1978, one week after the Rolling Stones were the musical guests on SNL, Diva oh, debuted and played this, which really showcased, I think, the new distinction and direction of modern music. Talk to anybody that saw them in 78 on SNL when it, when it originally aired. It freaked people the fuck out. But you literally grew up in the music business and you've been the up and coming talented kid uh, who played with all the older established artists as well as like the knowing veterans who plays with younger up and coming artists. Right. Um, when did you first feel like you were in your musical prime? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, there were times, uh, there were times when I'd be driving around Los Angeles going from session to session, studio to studio, like doing, you know, three sessions a day, having one drum set up at Capitol records and finishing there at, you know, working from 9am till, uh, 1 p.m. and then calling and making sure my drums are set up at the other studio in Santa Monica because I get there for a session from 2 o'clock till 7 at night. Wow. And then a session back in Hollywood at 10 p.m. that would go till 2 or 3 in the morning. And then asking the guy who owns the studio, can I sleep on the couch here? Because I've got a session. early I, day, yeah. I've got a session back here at this studio with another band tomorrow at 9 a.m. Yeah. Shit like that where you're literally sleeping on couches of studios because you're like just not going home because you're working on so many different records. And how, and how old are you at this point when you're when you're working that hard? Working that hard? I mean, I've been working my ass off, <laughs> of course, since I was but, a kid. Uh, but I can just imagine you're like three years old and just like, "Come on, keep the beat. It's four <laughs> seven. Come on, here we go, Josh. What's your problem?" Yeah, right. No, it was more. Uh, I guess at that time it was probably like in the late '90s, early 2000s. When I kind of, I didn't realize I was a studio drummer until I opened up uh, Modern Drummer Magazine one day and I was voted like the number one studio drummer. Actually, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I was, I forget what year it was, sometime in the 90s, and it said I was the number two studio drummer in America. Who was went, number one? I couldn't, I couldn't remember, Fuck but I, I just remember going, yeah, whoever the, I whoever the hell was, I hate that guy too. <laughs> um, it's probably a friend of mine, but I remember looking at it and going, am I a studio drummer? And I was like 22 at the time, 23, I'm going, holy shit. And I go, and I wasn't bummed. I thought it was cool. And I go, I thought I was just a drummer that had a lot of friends in L.A. who have friends in bands that the drummers get drunk and miss the session or can't play to a click track. And then they, yeah. I just ended up being the go-to guy. Oh, you got to call Freeze because he will show up on time and there will be no drama and he'll play it well. And yes, click track. Yes, can read some music and like you don't have to sweat it. So yeah. I just kind of got that reputation. Like someone asked me yesterday, do you have a manager or an agent? Like someone that's not in the music business. I said, it's all just purely word of mouth and years of the snowball going down the hill and just gradually getting bigger and bigger, you know? All right. Uh, after that, it goes into praying hands. Uh, great song. Uh, kind of reminds me of a demented surf rock song. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. What's well, funny you said surf rock because I thought about, yeah, Bob Mothersbaugh's guitar playing a lot of the stuff. It's like, I call it like, Ill, like hillbilly alien surf guitar. It's just like, is it twang? Is it country twang, or is it surf, or is it totally dissonant and fucked up? Like, I guess it's all those things. I, I all I you heard, know? all I heard so was I, love. I heard this. I heard that surf rock vibe. It could almost be Devo trying to start their own dance craze because uh, they're also <laughs> they're taking this shot at the hypocritical religious fundamentalists and the yeah. local televangelists. Uh huh. Uh, because the song is basically saying it uses our hands to represent the represent the dichotomy of humans, and of course it seems to question the relationship between the sacred and the profane sides of our duality. 
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Play a little taste of, of Praying Hands. Play 137, because it, it really is good. As I was driving up here, because I've listened to this album at this point now, like nine, ten times at least in the last two days to prep for this, besides the 30 times I listened to it before, sure. I, when, you uh-huh. know, over the last three months, uh, it, I... It made me drive faster. It made me have fun. I was I was dancing while I, I was I was I was driving. Almost killed three people, but you know what? It would have been worth it because praying hands, mwah. It's pretty great. All right, that goes into space junk. Okay, now to me, this is like two songs. Okay, Peter, uh, play about thirty se- thirty eight seconds in. All right, so that's that's just perfect, right? I like when he goes, Texas, oh my Kansas. Hold on, let me take it to the ending, because this is where I feel like it's become a completely different song. Play about, play a Peter, play 150 in the song. This is about space debris falling to Earth and killing his girlfriend, Sally. Yeah. Uh, I love it because it almost, because the song almost sounds like it's going to be some sort of dispassionately polite pop song until it gets to the long bridge. Yeah. And then it goes dark. And then it intensifies and then it goes dark. And then it talks about all the different places that the space junk yeah. has fallen. That's why you said like Texas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is one of the few songs in here that the band didn't overly resist Brian Eno's input either. Like I oh, really? really feel like you hear the Brian Eno sound in this song more than most of them. But I want to talk about space real quick. Cause I found out in, in the 80s, uh, you were the percussionist in in Polo, a team band that not only won Junior Star Search, but also had a regular gig right near Space Mountain mm-hmm. at Disneyland. What's the craziest shit you ever saw happen at the happiest place on Earth? Oh, boy. Craziest shit I ever saw happen. Oh, man. Because I've spent, I've got a weird, long, long, lifelong history with Disneyland. Take me there. And uh, I was basically born at Disney World in Florida. My parents grew up in Minneapolis. My dad got the job in the early 70s conducting the band when they opened Disney World in Orlando. So I was born down there. 
Thank God my dad got transferred from Disney World to Disneyland in Anaheim here in Southern California. Way when, better, dude. When I was about a year Florida old. Florida can suck it, dude. I stood a chance. Just the way and, that it hangs off our country. I hate it, dude. I hate that. I hate that state. If you're in Florida listening to my podcast, turn it. Actually, oh, no. Man. Keep listening. You know what? Over Keep the buying years, the merch. Over the years, I've I've grown to like Florida a lot more than I used to. But um, I will say that. Uh, so I, so I grew up going to Disneyland every weekend. I was at Disneyland watching my dad conduct the band. Then by the time I was about ten or eleven, he started hiring all the live music out there, which he did for like God thirty five years or something. And he hired this band that were Junior Star Search champions in 84 or 85, and they were all teenagers. Yeah. And uh, I met them and became friends with them, and I was hanging out watching them play every weekend. And after a few months, they're like, you know what, why don't you just join our band? We'll have two drummers, because we had become tight friends, and they become like my, my new best buddies. And I started playing with them, and I played all electronic I had all these cool electronic drums at the time. And uh, so we had an acoustic drummer and an electric drummer. <laughs> nice. And we played in Tomorrowland, a little stage that pops up on the ground. But, you know, I can say literally my professional career started then because when I was 12 and 85, I started getting paid every weekend playing drums and I started paying taxes every year. What were you buying with the, with your 12 year old money? You know, the first, like, you, know the first, you know what the first thing I bought with any money that I, I made? My parents, of course, made me put some away. And it wasn't like I was Let me guess. Can I guess? Dude, if you, if you Weed. guess. No. <laughs> no. Okay, guys, I don't know. If you guess, I'll give you $100,000 right now. Tennis racket. Okay, I'm going to say it before you guess on accident. <laughs> um, Am I getting close? I bought a water bed. Did you really? <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, you're, I mean, that's like months. the sexiest thing a 12-year-old could own. Six months later, I'm like, why do I got this stupid water Were you hanging out with James Caan at the Playboy Mansion? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> I'm going to get a water bed. Hey, we're having a sleepover. Bring your swimsuit. It's got a hole in it. Just uh, let you know. What the fuck, dude? I brought some drum gear and a four track and bullshit. But that water bed. I I wanted one, too, when I was 12. I'm not going to lie. My cousin Alan had a water bed, but Alan was a piece of shit. So he was a womanizer. And I mean, yeah. Yeah, like Larry from uh, I'm uh, laughing so hard Three's that, Company dude. should have a waterbed, right? You know, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's pretty silly. Oh, that's great. All right, now my favorite song on song. the record. This track uh, takes a while to build into the singing, but it's probably the catchiest uh, song on this record. Lyrically, though, uh, today... Little un PC. Just gonna say yeah. that, but man, do I fucking love it. P- uh, Peter, play the <laughs> chorus, okay? For those that don't know, the genetic disorder associated with specific physical features and intellectual disabilities that is often called Down syndrome, or more factually, Trisonomy 21 is caused by the presence of all or part of a third copy of chromosome 21. However, from the 1800s until the mid-70s to early 80s, it was often referred to as Mongolism due to the supposed physical similarities to those who came from the Mongoloid race, such as the indigenous people of Asia. Uh, clearly, music is, on your, is in your genes because uh, you come from such a musical family. Uh, your brother Jason is the yeah. keyboardist in Green Day, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And your mom and dad were both musicians. Mm-hmm. Are you going to encourage your kids to uh, no way, to be into man. business? I'm going to tell them to stay the hell away from this bullshit. Uh, no, you know none of my kids play music, and I'm 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 honestly completely fine with it. And one of them, I mean, 
they're still pretty young. My oldest is is a great artist. He's 18 and he's going to school for art. But the three younger ones that are 13, almost 11, and nine, uh, there's been a little bit of piano lessons, you know, against their will. And uh, one of them wanted to play ukulele for a month. But it's like I always joke around with friends that go, are you ready from playing drums yet? And I go, thank God, no. And one of my kids about a year ago, my 13-year-old boy, said, Hey Dad, I want to I want to play drums. And I went, uh, okay, uh, cool. And I was like a deer in the headlights. Oh shit, he wants to play drums. So I brought him back to my. I've got a little studio here at the house, yeah. and I brought him back to the drums, and uh, and he started playing. And when I came back in, the big joke was my wife goes, "Okay, how was he? Was there any natural ability? Does he uh, got the feel? Does uh, he have the feel?" And I said, "I said, thank God, no. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Fuck yeah. If he was great, I was gonna be like, oh shit, here we go." Here we go, and really, he's going to, fuck, he's really good, and now I'm going to have to give him lessons, and now he's going to want a gig. Now he might get a gig. Now it's a whole lifelong, um, I, mean, I can't. There's the parting. There's it's the, a mess. They're living in a van. There's, yeah, it's like people. I, would, I literally wouldn't, the only thing I'd wish on them is if they really loved doing it and found it and enjoyed doing it. Yeah. And maybe one day they turn into making a living out of it, but they definitely can't expect that. So it's more like if they really love doing it, I go, great, you found something you love doing, cool. But just because you've seen me go on tour and make a record doesn't mean, doesn't you mean are. you're going to. Yeah. And you got to love it. All right, let's move on to the next song, okay? Uh, next song, Jocko Homo. This I'm, saying it, I'm saying it like I'm from Philadelphia. Jocko Homo. That's I love they, this song. This is like, it's just such a staple. It's like the... Uh, it's like the Devo uh, theme song or something. It's their call to arms. It, it's, it, it's so bizarre. The first time I heard it, the music is so weird. The drum parts are so weird. The lyrics are so great. It sounds like nothing you've ever heard before. Well, I yeah, have to say. So it's played in this like jerky seven eight time signature, yeah, uh-huh. uh, which along with the primitive synthesizer sounds makes it sound even more futuristic. You know what I mean? And it's just the choice of notes, and it's just bizarre. And the first time I heard it, I'm like, "Is this even a real? This isn't even a real song." Oh, it's a real song, dude. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's the best. And, and once it's again, it sounds like three different songs. So all right, we got we got a couple parts we're gonna listen to. Peter, play one nineteen. That alone is incredible. But then it goes into this like breakdown thing. Peter, play two minutes in. All right, Peter, one last thing, because this is where it all comes together. Go to 218. I mean, this this uh, this is this sounds like something from like the Wizard of Oz almost. Yeah. Like that you can see like the mayor of Munchkinland yeah. going, yeah. So it's Devo's anthem and the manifesto of de-evolution. Yes, absolutely. Uh, which was like we said, the original art concept before Devo was even a musical group. And in 1970, uh, Mark introduced Jerry to an old creationist pamphlet from 1924 called Jocko Homo Heavenbound by B. H. Shattuck, mm, a, fen- yeah. a fundamentalist 
minister who felt that the study of evolution would lead the Jocko Homo or Monkey Man to a long list of deadly sins. Mm -hmm. And then the Elven title and hooky phrase, Are We Not Men, was taken from H.G. Wells' 1896 science fiction novel, The Island Island of of Dr. Moreau, about a mad scientist who surgically forces... Uh, Force evolved several species and then they made it into a real shitty movie with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. Big ups to Val Kilmer because I've met him and he's cool. Uh, All right, let me ask you this. When did you first feel like you fully involved into a man? Oh, God. Probably just recently. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what I mean. I don't know. I looked around and went, shit, I'm married. I got four kids and dogs and, you know, mortgages. Yeah. Um, it's a being a, that's guess, adult, I'm shit, an adult dude. man. You are an adult. Yeah, you it know, slips by you because you're having so much fun throughout life. I'll man. tell you what's strange about me though. So, and this isn't—I'm not trying to brag. I'm, I'm more like no brag away. It, it's more strange to me that like we own—I've got two houses, we own two homes, but I don't know how big either one is. I don't, I don't know because like you the, never go people, through it. <laughs> well, people go, "What's the square footage?" I'm like, "I've got no idea." Yeah, I mean, you've seen it. It's not a mansion. It's a nice house, but it's not like, it's "Oh great. my god, he's got this." It's not like something you'd want to see on. I mean, not that I'd want one of those cribs homes, but it's not a you know, it's not like holy shit, this rock star house. But uh, yeah, we got this place. We have got a place in Palm Springs that that we we go to all the time, and we rent out sometimes to people and stuff like VRBO crap. But it's funny to me that I go, wow, I got two homes, but I only own one pair of jeans. Yes. You know what I mean? I don't have a well, watch. You're a rock star, dude. You know, you know what I mean? It's weird that's shit the, like dude, that. When you go on tour, I, I own one this. pair of jeans, but two houses. What do you like, bring? What do you bring in when you go on tour? Well, I'm still like fine tuning my travel shit. Like sometimes I go, well, I really got it going on because I'm gone for a week and I'm only bringing this little bag, and then I end up not wearing half the shit. In of the course, bag. yeah. But so I'm still figuring it out. You know what I mean? I try and I try and travel light. You know what I mean? I, I try and travel light, but I'll, I will say when I, I played drums with Weezer for about three years and their drummer who was playing guitar kind of for fun in the band for a while. Yeah. My good buddy, Pat Wilson. First day we went on tour, we met at LAX and he shows up and all he has is like a Whole Foods bag. He had a backpack and like a Whole Foods, like a paper bag that you would get if you were buying like... And that was his luggage. Like six limes and a, and, and a, and a soda pop, or so, right? In this bag. I'm like... The fuck is that? He had some clothes piling. He goes, "That's all I'm bringing." I go, "Oh, did you put stuff like in the wardrobe case? Is yeah. it being flown with the equipment?" He goes, "No, this is all I'm bringing. I'll, I'll buy some clothes. Like when we get to Chicago, we can go to whatever the fuck, the mall or H&M. Weezer's got money. We, he's got I'm Weezer like, money. Dude, this he's is got, how you're traveling. He's got say it ain't so money, bro. That's I know. That, the Blue Album was yeah. pretty fucking big. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always, I always have this belief about musicians, and it's and it's musicians in particular, not not That's actors, it. but that that their maturity level is is stuck at the age that they made it mm. do you know what i mean like like tommy what? lee i'll give you an example tommy lee still talks like a 17 year old kid when he made it he's yeah. like killer rad bro that's something that i've always found infectious about tommy knowing tommy um you know it is is the fact that he he still does have that enthusiasm yeah. and i'm sitting there going oh my god i feel like such a jaded old fucking half for years uh but uh that being said you know i've never had one specific thing that was like I made it. You know, mine was like a, almost like a tortoise in the hair, kind of like just this slow kind of constant working. But I had, I didn't like, even someone that doesn't have necessarily an overnight thing, let's say someone's been working, you've been working really hard for five, six, seven years with your band, 
and then you put out an album and it sells 20 million copies. Not that anyone sells 20 million copies anymore, but let's say years ago, wow, we sold 20 million copies. You can look at it like that was the summer that you made it. You, yeah, you yeah, went, yeah. You went from zero to 60 that summer, right? I've never had that. I've had just this long, long... So any success that I've had, it's been little pieces that have kind of like globbed onto this this thing that just keeps luckily moving forward, which my career... And um, so there was never a big like, oh, my God, I, I never came into a ton of money at once. So you never saw it all at once. It's just it like, I love how you put it as the tortoise and the hare because it's just that slow progression. But you're always moving up. That's the a, thing. A, it's that it's never mine, like plateau. I, I had a friend and the band will remain, re, remain nameless, but a friend that played in a band that sold millions of records in the uh, early mid 90s. Millie Vanilli. It's Not the, Millie it's Vanilli. Light skinned dude. <laughs> but, <laughs> But anyways, I was going, man, I can't believe that dude, the drummer of the band, wasn't that great. He wasn't good at all, actually. And I remember going, man, I can't believe so-and-so. That dude's like made millions of dollars this year. And my buddy goes, who worked with him at the time, goes, yeah, but you know what? He's going to blow it all in the next couple of years. And you're going to keep making a living. So why don't you like look at where you guys are at about 10 years? It was actually right. All right. So the next song is Too Much Paranoia's uh this is like a twangy country song on acid. Another these, great, yeah, it's like a nightmare come to life. It's great. Most of the lyrics are made up of old advertising slogans. Include, hold the pickles, hold yeah, the lettuce, special the, orders. It's all McDonald's shit. Like, My favorite which, line of the song is when Jerry goes in the chorus, he goes, there's too much paranoia, too much paranoia. My mother's afraid to tell me the things she's afraid of. <laughs> and I never knew what he said. And back before you could call up lyrics on your phone, and yeah. back before you end up being in the band, where you could ask the guy in the band, what the fuck do you say in that part? I used to go, what's he saying? And then years later, you know, it's like, oh, my mother's afraid to tell me the things she's afraid of. I'm like, oh, that's so such that's, a weird, creepy line. But that's but it's like, but it's deep, man. And the way he sings it, you know, and the intensity and the uh the first the first Devo show I ever played at the Sunnest Film Festival, we played that song. And then we didn't play for 20 years. All right, next song, uh, Gut Feeling, Slap Your Mommy. Mammy, I'm sorry. Mammy, slap your mommy. I know, I know. This is the longest song on the album. This is great. It's five minutes. It takes over two minutes for the lyrics to start. Peter, uh, play 318. For me, this great this was the moment uh, that I realized why people love Devo. It was like I said, but it's they pretty write, serious. They, no bullshit. Nothing they, funny about it. Nothing weird about no, it. It's just a great song. But it's like I said, the way I said they write in movements. This this song has many movements. It keeps building until the part that we just played, which is just an explosion of chaos sound. End, yeah. And this is the moment where I was like. This is one of the best records that we've listened to absolutely. on this list so far. It's a- absolutely is. And from a fan listening to it and being a drummer that's played it 500 times with them, <laughs> you know, and having conversations, even if we haven't played it for a while, we start talking about it and when we rehearse it. I know this, but then Jerry or Mark will explain. Remember, it's like, you know, we kind of, there's no drastic speed up section but kind of constantly be kind of slowly, like subliminally speeding up a little bit. So by the time the first time it goes into the vocals, two minutes into the song, that the build is not just an intensity, but kind of in tempo too. So things are getting a little more frantic. Yeah. And then when we get the first verse, stay there. We're on a plateau. We stay at that tempo. 
and then it goes to the first chorus, gets a little more ruckus, and then bring it up just to, to like lean on the gas a little yeah. bit more, and then up to the second verse. And then now we're at this next, we're on the next plateau, and we stay there. And it's kind of comes in these sections where there's no drastic. You're not stepping on the gas hard. It's just this real gradual, gradual thing where subliminally you go, oh, wow, this song's kind of speeding up. Yeah. Oh, cool. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Fantastic song. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorites on the record. Uh, but you've also, just like that decision to speed the song up, uh, you've made some amazing choices to play artists, play with artists, uh, not just Devo, but you played with some of the greats. Do you have instinctive feelings of which artists you're going to gel with? Uh... Yeah, I'd have to say uh, for me to spend a lot of time with an artist, meaning more than two afternoons in the studio with them, it's usually someone that I've got either some sort of connection with or have met before or know, like, you know, I've, I'm not jumping around band to band uh, live or, or traveling with as, as often as I am in the studio. But the studio doesn't matter because let's say I show up to do a session with artist X. Sometimes they're not even in the studio. Sometimes it's me and the producer, yeah, the yeah, track, and I'm only there for the day, or I'm there for three afternoons, and that's it. Let's say the artist shows up, and he or she is an asshole. It doesn't matter because I'm going to be here today and tomorrow, and then I never have to see him again. So it doesn't matter. But as far as like uh, the other situations, like I mean, the last time I met someone new that I didn't know and started working with was probably Sting, and I met him back in 2004 because I toured with him a bit in '05. Left on good terms. We had a long break, and I left to kind of. Uh, I had an offer to go join Nine Inch Nails, but anyways, the the Sting thing. I I didn't know him at all, but I had friends that worked with him, and I'd only heard heard good stories about him. So walking into it, I was like, okay, I hear this guy's cool, and because I love those early Police records, and I love all the drummers that have ever played with him, he obviously we've got the same choice in drummers because some of my favorite drummers have played yeah. with him prior. Then I went, I bet he's, I bet he's gonna be cool. You know what I mean? And he was. Uh, but other than that, like I said, you know, like Trent, I'd already known him before I started working with him because yeah. my old band, A Perfect Circle, we had toured opening up for Nine Inch Nails. Um, yeah, a lot of these people are just known for a long time. So it's... it's it. I've, have, I, you, have you ever passed on work because you just didn't gel with them? They were like, maybe you did a run and you were just like, I think that's it. Not really in a live situation. Maybe recording. You know, there's, I've done stuff where I've recorded with somebody and they go, hey, do you want to come on tour? Or hey, do you want to join the You're band? Like, it's like, fuck eh. no, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Comeback Johnny. Uh, I love this song because this, you know what this reminds me of? This is like a reimagining of Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. It's like Johnny Be Good with spaghetti western guitar. And, and just yeah, like, uh, just and once again, it's like, I kind of like this one more than I like uh, the original Johnny Be Good. And you we were talking about how the last <laughs> song just picks up and this goes into the same kind of uh, full blast at about three minutes. Yeah, it keeps Peter, going. Play yeah. it real quick at three minutes, Peter. Whoa. 
I love this song. It's so poppy. It's so upbeat. But supposedly, it's about the JFK assassination. So yeah, I mean, yeah. that's they're they're taking, they're doing a song about about how America's sunny optimism is now changed to this path of cynicism in this upbeat like gang 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 gang. gang. I yeah, mean, that whistly keyboard part. It's great, like dude. or something. All right, next song, sloppy. Um, great song. This is a fun song to play on the drums. Is it? Yeah, it seems like and, it too. Um, and it's weird. And the chorus is completely different and bizarre. And once again, it sounds like a different song compared to the verses. It just shifts into this weird kind of dark area where the rest of it's upbeat and kind of yeah. punk rock and fun. And it gets the chorus and it kind of takes a bizarre turn down a weird dark road. <laughs> I love the line uh, when she said, sloppy, I think I missed the hole. Uh, it's sort of hard to make the case that this is not a sexual song from that lyric. I mean, they're saying that it's not a sexual song, but it, who knows? It's, I mean, who knows? Dude? Yeah, yeah. I'm saying it, there's probably a, a bit of that in there, or just when they say no, it's not, they turn to the other guys and wink and go ha ha ha. All right, now we've come to the final song on the record, uh, "Shrivel Up." And to be honest with you, this was the song that when I thought Diva was gonna sound like. This is the one that I imagined. <laughs> All right, Peter, play one minute fifty seven. <laughs> Time tested and true. You got a pony got a pony Well, it's a God given law. Out of all the songs, we, we've gone through so many different styles of this band within an album. So to end with this, which I, I would never use the word flat. I don't think it's flat at all. But it's almost, it's like a really nice release back out of the world of Devo. Just like, there you go. It's like you're yeah, releasing yeah, yeah, yeah. the baby Jesus into okay. like the water. And I you're like, bye that. baby Jesus. Or is it Moses? I don't fucking know. He's I like, could see that. Bye Moses. And he's like going down the stream. I could see that. I, I also love how Jerry sings the last song uh he he, all, he sings this almost like uh advice to children by mr rogers or something yeah when they're referencing I mean? white, white castle slogans i think the when he goes it's a god-given fact it's you gotta God buy him by the sack you gotta buy him by the sack i used to have a white castle t-shirt that yeah. says i buy him by the sack uh, and that was the thing is that you had to buy white castle burgers oh yeah yeah, yeah. every time i go to vegas that's that's the only place i've really had it is in las vegas there's one right in fremont street all right hey. you, you, you want to do some facts and get out of here sure all right uh let me yeah it's good here are the facts and then here are the facts it's here are the facts let's do it in 1978 diva was tricked into signing a really bad publishing deal that gave the company they signed with equal say and the lion's share of their money for the use of their songs for commercials tvs and movies what's the worst deal you ever made I think it's something right off the bat, but I almost don't want to say it because I like the guy involved in it. Maybe I won't. You don't have to name names. You don't have to name names. You know what? I'm the only one to blame, to be honest. So I'll take full blame for it. Sure. And it might have even been him. It's more the company. But there was a big, a big, uh, very big video game by a pro skater. It was a really famous one that everyone that had Xbox or PlayStation 20 years ago played this famous skater's video game. Yeah. And and I like the famous skater, and I know he's always been super cool to me. Uh, the the uh, the company at the time it might have been like Activision or Sony something through Sony PlayStation or something it was fucking 25 years or 20 years ago right yeah probably about 20 years ago they came to me and said we want to use a Vandal song that I wrote solely I wrote the music and I wrote the music and the lyrics to this specific song and the other bands on there they're going to be Primus and Suicidal Tendencies and System of Down and the Vandals and the Dead Kennedys. And I was like, cool, yeah, you want to use my song? Cool, wow, thanks. Wow, I'm flattered. And uh, and we can pay you. And it was this tiny amount, uh, you know, a little. 
And I was like, "Whoa, wow, okay, cool." You know, this is twenty years ago. I'll take too. It. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Twenty five years ago, and then the thing went on to sell. You know, twenty million copies or something. Right. That, that oh, I know. The, the, I, the game. I, I, I and remember, I'm like, I remember. You know. <laughs> and so to be honest, I'm fine with it, and I don't look at it as uh, as Tony dicking me over. You know. Yeah. Because I like Tony. And, and and I saw him the other day. The Vandals played this thing in San Diego that he had something to do. He curated, curated this specific stage at this festival in San Diego. We played the Tony Hawk stage. You know, I, I dig him. Final fact of the record. Uh, the cover of the album was originally based on an image of golfer Juan Chichi Rodriguez, Rodriguez, but was altered to include elements of preceding presidents Kennedy, Johnson, JFK. Nixon, Ford, after a Warner Brothers Records VP who was a golf fan thought they were making fun of Chi-Chi. Oh, Chi-Chi. Yeah. Uh, speaking of making f- a fun impression. Okay. I love this. In 2009, you took the then new concept of crowdfunding to a ridiculous level. By donating to help fund your record since 1972, one could receive the normal CV- CDs, DVDs, downloads, and T-shirts for reasonable amounts. However, as the pledges got higher, the incentives became fucking Zanier. epic. These included cutting each other's hair. We did it. Ingesting psychedelics. Writing songs, joining their bands, trips to Tijuana, and a jam-packed day of everything that concluded with the high bidder driving off in your car. Obviously, <laughs> uh, that's the greatest thing I've ever written, uh, I've read in my life. I what got was, a good mileage out of that one. Okay, so what was the highest pledge? The car, that is. What was the most insane incentive you actually had to give? I sold a package. It was a limited edition of one for $20,000. There was things that were a lower amount of money. That there was more available of, and as the incentives went up and the packages got crazier, it'd be for a big amount of money, but it'd say like limited edition of five, and then limited edition of two, and then this experience. Yeah, with yeah, all yeah. Things, I saw one, one that was like like pull, like go into your closet, pull out five items. All those things happen. No, like for real. Well, it got to the point where I did do shit like this. I will have to say there was a lot of stuff cool up there, but I go. And the first time or two, like Nicole was like cool about it. She's like, "Oh, I go listen. There's some guys going come out to our house. And he's gonna pick any three items out of our closet or out of my side of the closet." And uh, it would get to the point where I'm like, "You know what? I'm actually gonna take that one jacket and those shoes and put yeah, them in the got, garage." Of course, dude. Yeah, like leave that. You know, you have one pair of jeans. What if they took your one pair of fucking jeans, dude? And I will say, I will say that. Uh, the guy that did buy the the big package that, and the biggest one was the twenty. No, the biggest one, one was seventy five thousand dollars. No, no, and I didn't no, expect I anyone. That. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Um, was that the one where it's like take mescaline and go to Disneyland? yeah, take shrooms with Danny from Tool and cruise around his Lamborghini? And Who the I, fuck would want to do I that? Joined. There's got to be some dude out there with seventy five grand that wants to do that shit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, it ended up being uh, the 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 highest uh, the highest amount that someone bought was the the one for twenty thousand dollars. And when the guy came out, I'm like, oh, my God. He came out here from Florida for, like, the week. Of course, and, Florida. And, and I, I, uh, I did make a point of going, okay, this dude's paying a lot of money for this shit. And so I actually added a bunch of stuff in there. like, And fun kind of rock and roll experiences like, well, the day he got here. The day he got here, the Vandals were playing with, like, Rancid and the Offspring and some other bands at Irvine Meadows. Yeah. So... That wasn't on the list, but I said, hey, get in my car. We're going down. We're going to go see the Vandals play. You're going to hang out backstage. It's cool. And then, hey, tomorrow, this also wasn't on the list. Come with me because I'm recording with Slash tomorrow from noon till 8 o'clock. Come hang out in the studio and meet Slash. Because I'm like, the last thing I want is this dude to be like, 
I got ripped off. I didn't feel like I, I really, I was like, I'm going to get this guy his money's worth. So yeah, hanging out with Slash for the day. $20,000 is a lot of money, man. That's a lot of money. And I mean, that's, that's so cool, man. So we went for it, you know, we went for it. And we, Maynard, Maynard James Keenan and I took him, uh, you know, miniature golfing and he got some drum stuff, and we wrote a Picked song about it. Picked out shit from your him. closet, right? Yeah, picture of my closet. We spent the night at the Queen Mary, the the boat here in Long Beach. Uh, <laughs> we were supposed to do something with Mark Mothersbaugh, and then Mark couldn't do it. But then we went up to his house and had pizza. We had a pizza party up at Mark Jesus Mothersbaugh's house Christ. in the Hollywood Hills. So it became crazy, though. Like so, I was like, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to all these lunches. I'm going to P.F. Chang's every day with a new stranger. You know, people go, are you really? I go, I'm driving to, P- I'm going to Sizzler right now. I'm going to P.F. Chang's right now to have another lunch date. And people are going, you're really following through. And we filmed a lot of those in the beginning. Yeah, I love and, that you you labeled it, said like to be filmed. And like, we're going to go to Disneyland. And then I'm going to drop you off on the side of a highway. That's great. All right. So to get us out of here, uh, final thoughts on the record that we talked about. Are we not men? Are we diva? What are your final thoughts on that record? Uh, pioneering uh and i guess what goes along with with being pioneering which is fresh and new and interesting and avant-garde and uh infectious it uh it sounded like nothing else when it came out and still sounds like nothing else to me in 2019 and it sounds like none of their other records it stands on its own it's not like oh yeah well there's this and there's the you know they all stay in the same genre it always there was the common thread through Devo's career of bizarre songs and kind of abstractness to what they were doing but that first record man there's nothing else like it there really isn't and I'll say this there's nothing like you either man I can't I can't I know you think I did that dude I mean this from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for this this was so much fun I had a blast I hope you did too thank you my pleasure This episode was a doogle, it was a doogle, this ep was not a spoogle, cause this episode was a doogle, yeah. For all things Josh Freeze, check him out at Josh Freeze on all social media. For all things 500, guys, go to our website, the500podcast.com, email this podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com, and follow me, go ahead, for a Christmas gift, Hanukkah gift. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media, guys. Don't forget, subscribe on Spotify to the 500. And if you're listening on another platform like the other one that's pretty big, go ahead and rate and review us. I don't care what platform you're on. Rate and review this show. Now, we just listened to Devo from 1978. Instead of putting somebody on that was heavily influenced by this, we are going to play my best friend Avery Pearson's song, Christmas Magic. Christmas Magic was written by Avery Pearson, and it's basically a song to raise awareness for a charity called Comedy Gives Back. It's a wonderful charity that helps comics in need, and Christmas Magic is basically available everywhere. You can listen to it on Spotify. All the proceeds for this song go to Comedy Gives Back. He's got 60 of of the country and world's funniest comedians all helping him sing this song. Go out, donate, support and check out the link to it on our website, the500podcast.com, to see more. 
But if you're in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artists that influence you in the subject line. Next week is Suicide Week. God, that sounds depressing. (laughs) Jesus. We're all killing ourselves next week. Nope, it's actually a band called Suicide with their 1977 album called Suicide. And that's coming out on Christmas, guys. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to it on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Doogly doogly. Spoogly spoogly. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. Next Chapter Podcasts.